Coaches, athletes, weekend warriors. Have you thought about recovery or regeneration? Today we oftentimes think in training about the stimulus we put on our body and the workload that we do to fatigue us daily, but we don't give enough to the recovery component. Simply Faster has numerous options to enhance your recovery in between the sessions of work that you put your body through daily. They have Theraguns, Normatic Regeneration Kits, and they're all cost-effective options. My athletes at my high school often use the Theragun in between intervals, race days, and training sessions. In the world we live in, it's hard to guarantee that we're going to get a doctor's visit. Simply Faster provides you the option where you don't have to be behind a paywall to get the care that you need with the equipment that they provide. So get yourself the regeneration and recovery that you need and level up. Simply Faster. Check it out. Welcome, everyone, to the Companions of the Compendium podcast. Today, I have Mike Cunningham, a.k.a. the Father. If you know a lot of people in track and field and they have podcasts, Mike has either been on it or has really pushed them to start their own and spread value for not only track and field coaches, but humanity in general. Mike is the national sales manager for Gill Athletics, and he's also, as we mentioned previously, the Gill Athletics uh, connection podcast host who now is how many episodes mike do you have oh, oh man we're way past 100 120 or so at this point it's hard to keep count <laughs> absolutely so if there's somebody you want to have listened to and and have interviewed mike's probably already done it so make sure you guys head over there and and check that out thanks so much mike for being a part of it you're a good friend and i appreciate you man i know a couple months ago you you kind of pushed me to start this thing so i really really appreciate you and kind of stretching my uh voice out there and kind of scaling me up and scaling me out i, I really appreciate it. it's it been fun and i'm so happy you've decided to come on and discuss with us today come with a couple concepts that you and i are so passionate about for coaches yeah let me start by saying thank you you know ryan to put me on your show it means the world to me to be able to talk about some topics that i'm just uber passionate about uh and you're right you know i did push you and i push others to do podcasting i think of podcasting like social media like no one would ever say hey you probably shouldn't have a twitter account so i kind of do that with podcasts i'm like no no you absolutely should have a podcast uh, it, it may not go every week and every month, but you know, it's, there's an exercise in expressing your um, opinions and facts and yourself that I think is pretty important in a vocal way, like podcast allows us to. Absolutely. Last week, when this recording is taking place now, there was a coach that came on, Graham Eaton, and we kind of had that conversation about writing, you know, expressing yourself, going through that process, stretching yourself, putting yourself out there to be a little bit vulnerable in kind of having some of these conversations and, and going through the process of, well, what do I truly believe? What are like my principles, my pillars in my life? You know, and if you're not a great writer or maybe you're shy, that might make people go, well, this is absolutely not the thing for you. And I would say, no, 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 this is absolutely the thing for you because this will force you to get better at skill sets so that you can express your viewpoints, that you can share who you are. You can go through that wrestling match that makes us have a little bit of a better understanding of not only ourselves, but maybe the concepts and principles we walk through life with. You know, they've done studies on communication and I'm probably going to get the percentages wrong here, but you know, for effective communication, roughly 50% of it is body language, you know, us seeing each other and how our faces are, are contorting when we're talking uh, about 40% of it is tonality, you know, how we're saying those words. And then 
less than 10% is actually the words we choose. So, you know, if you think about an email, you know, it's only words, there's no tonality, no body language, podcasting uh, doesn't necessarily allow us body language unless we're doing a video podcast, but it definitely brings in a big part of that tonality. So, uh, you know, a tweet can be read one way, well, I could say that same tweet and now you hear my tonality and you maybe understand more of what I'm actually trying to convey in those uh, 280 characters that were, <laughs> that were allowed over there. Yeah, it's really interesting. Intentions matter. And one of the things I've got a friend who's very, very wise and he's an old soul. And one time he said to me, he's like, you know, if you pull out a gun and you're trying to shoot a person in cold blood and the gun misfires, in his mind, he says, you're still a murderer, right? You still intended to kill that person. Now, I know that's really dark. So, so one of the things that I tried to do is I tried to flip that around and go, well, isn't the same true on the opposite end? If I meant to say something and I meant it in a way of, of caring or trying to be helpful or love, even though it might have came across wrong, even though my love language might not be your love language, my intentions were there. And I find that really interesting because nowadays we have so many means to communicate, but I oftentimes feel like we miscommunicate because we're not all skilled at all of these different modes in which we can share knowledge, information, and intention. Yeah, you know, communication is amazing. And when you talk about the different modes that we have now, you know, I can probably reach someone, you know, on the other side of the country within seconds now because of social media and email and phone and things like that where if you go back maybe even 20 years ago i would struggle or it would cost me it'd be so cost prohibitive uh, but i also think you know we kind of demonize the present and the future and we put on a pedestal the past you know we used to talk about the you know the good old days before we had cell phones and uh you know everybody talked at the restaurants and things like that and you know it's actually not true <laughs> when you go back to how we really were we, we were kind of the same way we were either reading our newspaper or we were ignoring the person with us um so i'm not a big you know the good old days were the better days. I, I think where we are and where we're moving towards in regards to technology and things like that uh, is better. And, and to your point about, you know, intent, I mean, we, we've got to be better at forgiveness and grace <laughs> for people uh, in a lot of things. And also when you're doing bad, realizing, you know, when you're saying something that's bad or uh, you know, um, putting down another person or persons, you've got to start realizing too, like, oh, wait a minute, like maybe they actually are good people. Maybe I'm wrong here. So there's, you know, grace for yourself sometimes as well, which is hard to do. Yeah, I think that our algorithm driven life has limited our ability to show a lot of grace because it's so much in the realm of what team are you on? You know, and, and it's so silly that it's, it's that attitude, that mental rewiring, I feel like has gotten not only, you know, obviously the obvious of politics, but in every aspect, you know, whether it's religion, all the way down to, you know, do you run 10 meter flies or do you run 400 meter repeats of practice? <laughs> right, right. You know, and it's silly. And you're right. I think we do need to show people more grace. We need to have a better, because that is a skill that has been diminished. This talk, But I think that that's still just as valuable as ever. And I also think like, we need to allow people to have redemption. You know, mm -hmm. if they have made mistakes, like I know, Mike, you and I probably if we grew up in the social media world that we're in now, we probably would have made some grave mistakes that uh, we, we would not want or have sunlight on nowadays. 
Yeah. Uh, on one <clears> hand, <throat> I say, thank God I didn't grow up with Facebook and Twitter and whatever. However, you know, I just celebrated my 45th birthday and someone commented on Facebook about, you know, welcome to old age or something like that. And I was like, uh, actually, I'm at halftime. <laughs> uh, I'm 45 years old. I'm pretty sure based on uh, my genetics and health and the advancement of the healthcare system that I'm going to live to at least 90. So when you think about it in that scope, it's like um, I am growing up in the time of Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all that. So, you know, my mistakes as a kid, if they would have been documented on social media, certainly would not have been great for me. Uh, but now my mistakes as an adult are, <laughs> and those can sometimes have larger repercussions uh, in today's world. So uh, I am growing up in social media and I'm enjoying it. Uh, but, you know, my whole bend in life, my passion in life is to provide value uh, to others. You know, I'm on, uh, you talk about teams, I'm on team you. <laughs> you know, if, if I'm going to give value, I have to give value to even those who don't like me or agree with me. <laughs> if I'm going to be the true, you know, selfless and give value with zero expectation of anything in return. So um, it's got to be just value value, value, value. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. In fact, I hope some people don't agree with me because that's what makes life interesting and fun. And, uh, you know, being able to listen to different viewpoints and, and course correct yourself as you, as you learn more. Yeah. Everybody always agreeing would make me uncomfortable. Um, I like for people to agree with me once in a while, like my wife and I had a long conversation about athletes and what's really brave and what's not brave. And, and what message does that send with how people line up behind certain things without really even thinking about the nuances of their opinion and what side they're on. And, you know, she and I, we, we have many, many conversations where we're not on the same page in, in terms of agreeing. But part of that also means that my wife feels comfortable enough to be her genuine self to tell me what she thinks and, and to to talk to me about, hey, I think this is what needs to happen. Because if I'm floating through life, hey, everything's great and wonderful. And then 25 years later, I have a, a family that's not very happy or a, or a home life that's not very great. Well, gosh darn it, I've missed out on, you know, however many moments that could have been much better if that conversation would have had, even if it was uncomfortable, even if I didn't agree initially, and then I get time to process. And then I come to a conclusion of, okay, now I understand that perspective. I understand that context, you know, I can be better in that situation next time, or I can be better explaining why my opinion is the way that it is and come up with better ideas. You know, I, I hate when people try to shut people down and cancel just because they've said something stupid. It's like, no, no, first of all, I want to know that they're stupid. You know, <laughs> I want to know what, what's going on here. But the other part is, Mike, is I also want to have the opportunity to explain why I think maybe that line of thinking is faulty and let's, let's try to pull us back over in this direction. I think it's a good process for everybody to go through. Yeah. A lot of what you're describing there is judgment, right? Like we judge someone else to be wrong because of the decisions that we have made. And that's really at the crux of it is stopping this, this judgment uh, over others. You know, it's always amazing me, you know, as we, talk about globally politics and society, et cetera, when someone disagrees with someone and it does not affect their life at all. <laughs> uh, and they still have like these real harsh judgments towards the decision or those people, et cetera, and their, and their decisions. It always just kind of amazes me. It's like, what does that have to do with you at all? You are on this earth for a really, really small amount of time. Uh, your influence is large over a very small network for the majority of us. The majority of us are not Elon Musk and you know, can talk to a million people or, you know, a million people know who we are. We, we have, you know, basically 100, 150 
people in our network, you have massive ability to influence them in a positive manner. Why are you worried about this thing going off that's not even in your circle that does not affect you? It just boggles me because you're losing time and effectivity over what you can influence towards the positive. Yeah, and you and I have, have had that conversation personally, a little peek behind the curtain for the audience. You and I were discussing like, man, I'm really worried about this guy over here and, and his platform and where he's taking people. And I feel like I need to challenge that. And Mike, you were so great and gracious to say, that's not what it's about. You know, what it's about is what can you do with what you're doing? And if you're doing something that has value and is good, that that will take care of, in essence, what you were saying, a lot of the things that I was worried about in that conversation, which was very, in my opinion, again, in reflection, kind of a selfish moment for me. Yeah, you know, we, we sometimes think that we have to be the Elon Musk, right, to have any positive influence. If I, if I don't have a million followers on, on social media, or if I don't have a platform, when the reverse is true, if we all would focus, this is my belief, of course, that if we would all focus on the circle that we have, if that circle is 10 people, <laughs> uh, if your team, if you're a coach and you coach 30 people, uh, or maybe you do have a, a large audience and you've got four, five, 6,000 people, if you would focus on bringing value and positivity to that, where your feet are, so to speak, if everybody did that, wow, I mean, this world would be amazingly much, much more positive uh, for all of us. You know, the, the rising tide raises all ships. We'd all would, would benefit from people that would, if they would uh, just focus on, on what's right there in front of you. Um, it's great to grow and always be looking past that. And I think that's important. But to think that you have to already be there to have influence is, is the uh, kind of the, the wrong message. You, you have to be, you have major influence right here in your network. Use that to your advantage to be, to be positive and giving value. So Mike, you've provided so much value in your podcast and, and it's never about the X's and O's. Talk to me about when we, when you discussed it, you mentioned influences and, and how to influence people and influence others, which is, I think one of the best value that we have as humans is to help other people out through their path and through their journey. What influenced you to create this type of content with what you're trying to do um, as the podfather? You know, there's actually someone who has that nickname. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the guy who actually started podcast, but uh, I will uh, gladly and uh, humbly accept podfather of, of track and field, maybe podcast. But, um, you know, that question, Ryan, it's multi, multi-layered, right? You talk about influences and mentors. Um, I mean, there's like a billion, I mean, everything from, you know, my own faith and Jesus Christ and, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell books, that's a heck of a transition there, right? Jesus to Malcolm, uh, but Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, big influence, uh, and even recently reading and listening to a lot of a guy named John Acuff, uh, who's another awesome uh, person, uh, shout out to, to John and what he does with his podcast and his books. Uh, but really kind of a, a switch for me that happened. I've been here now uh, almost to the day, 15 years here at Gill Athletics. I coached college track for 10 years. So I'm, I'm way past how long I even coached track and field. Uh, but, and, and I don't know when, like whether it was 12 years ago, five years ago, but a switch for me occurred uh, between short-term thinking and long-term thinking. Uh, so as a quote unquote, typical salesperson, when I would talk to coaches and, and anything that I thought about doing with our company here, trade shows, track meets, et cetera, it was always about how can I get, I'll use you as my example here, Ryan, how can I get coach Banta to purchase 
today? Like what, you know, Hey, Ryan, we got these new X, Y's and Z's and Hey, Ryan, I see your pole vault pit is blah, blah, blah. You know, it was always about what can I get out of Ryan? And then again, all these influences kind of culminated into, well, what would happen if I thought long-term, what if I actually didn't care about any single purchase, but if I provided value to the coaches, the customers out there that, you know, they're all going to coach for a long time. Most coaches coach for some extended period of time. I coached for 10 years. That's a fairly long time. And there's coaches that go 30, 40, 50 years. What if I provide so much value to that coach that I actually get their book of business for their career? So it turned um, to, an, to a, just a, a, a mind change of like, hey, man, this isn't about short term. If, if you don't, if we're working on, a, on, a, on an order and you choose someone else, hey, that's, that's okay. You did your research. You're choosing what you believe is best for your program. But if I give you value, you're, you're going to come back. I'm going to get the next step at bat, <laughs> if you will, and the next step. But like, I'm going to get the options. And hopefully if I have great equipment and great service uh, after the fact, we're going to win the bulk of that business. So that's really where it kind of turned. And so with the podcast, which was actually started before uh, COVID, it was about, you know, we have these amazing coaches out there. One kind of selfishly, I'd like to learn more about their journeys. I had a pretty unique journey and I think there's other, I know there's other coaches that have amazing journeys, uh, but also I knew interviewing coaches on a huge spectrum. So you know, very successful coaches now, uh, very uh, coaches that are just now getting into the game, that if I could interview them and share them with others, like people would receive value from that. Like people, you know, it's, it's amazing the feedback we get on, you know, I listened to a coach so-and-so and wow, didn't realize that they had gone through something similar to me and look at them now, I, I can do it too. You know, a lot of uh, uh, value for coaches, for listeners out there. And that's really the impetus for doing the podcast. Yeah, they did a study when we, I was doing my master's in, in positive psych and they talked about resilience. And one of the things that was best tied to resilience was some sort of common shared experience or something that tied directly to them. So like most of us, if we were trying to do a job for a company outside of our hometown, would probably have less resilience there than doing the same job in our hometown in our own community. And how they kind of figured this stuff out is they would do these very difficult, uh, in fact, impossible to answer word problems with mathematics, um, where they would do these stories and they would throw in something that related to that person, whether it was their name, the name of their town, you know, the sport they played or something like that. And they found out that when there's something that connects to what the person has, that even though that problem is impossible, they will stay in the problem and try to work through the challenge longer with mental resilience because they feel like it matters more because of that connection. Now, the message isn't like, hey, don't bang your head against the wall on an impossible problem and you're never gonna solve it. That's not it. The reality is, is that in the world, in our world experience, it's not limited to an equation. There are so many things you can do to work through and solve that problem. And I think that's exactly right. When you have these stories about the coaches and their experiences, everybody can go on and read about all these coaches and their X's and O's and training systems, that stuff's out there. Now, it is difficult to sift through what is valuable or isn't. And again, that's context driven more than it is right or wrong. But the biggest thing I've found is finding people who have gone through those situations and, and then come out the back end and you go, oh, okay, I can do it. I, I, I can do it. I've, I've seen the path. 
this person's very much like me. So why can't it be me too? Why can't I also get through this situation? And now this person's kind of described the mentality that was necessary for them to problem solve this thing that came up in life. And I think that's one of the biggest values that you've provided in your conversations with all of these coaches that you've sat down and spoke with. Yeah, you mentioned path and unfortunately, and actually fortunately, <laughs> uh, there is no one path for, for any profession for, I mean, I, I coached for 10 years. I never would have told you that at age 45, I'd be sitting in the position that I am now. Heck, at one point I was sitting at a poker table for a living. I would never would have told you <laughs> that would have ever been in my path as well, right? Uh, and I have other great successful teammates here and their paths are radically different than mine. Every coach's path is radically different. And sometimes because we live so much in the now, we forget, I'll, I'll use Mouse Holloway as an example. You know, we see Mouse, you know, he's an Olympic coach right now. And obviously the head coach at University of Florida, you know, perennial um, in the battle for team titles, coaches people like Grant Holloway, who's amazing. And I hope wins the gold. We, we don't know yet at this point, uh, but you know, he's an amazing coach. And we forget that like, sometimes we sit and go, well, I'm, ju I'm just, I'm doing air quotes there, a high school coach or an NAI coach or a division three, whatever, whatever you think is lower than division one, which, that's its own discussion to be real <laughs> frank with you. Uh, but you think like, man, I could never, I could never be Mouse. He's the head coach of Florida. I can't obtain that. And so unpacking his story, you know, you find out what he coached and coached junior college and, you know, uh, how he worked in his way to um, Gainesville from Ohio and became the assistant coach and then became the, head. I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty standard journey. Like it, it's an everyman journey. There's nothing. Uh, oh, I love you, Mouse. There's nothing special about Mouse. <laughs> I love you, Mouse. There is a lot special about Mouse, but meaning like he, there was no heroics in the sense of uh, he was an amazing athlete or he was a University of Florida alum and things like that. And he got his major break. He just, he worked hard and to, you know, he'd admit this, he got some lucky breaks along the way. So, you know, sharing those stories and journeys, it's the goal is to see other coaches help them see like, oh, okay, if, if I want that, if that's going to be in my, my path, that's going to be the end of my path. Well, there, there's ways I can create my own unique path to get there and, and hit that, that goal. Yeah. My mom always told me the harder you work, the luckier you get, you know, so <laughs> when that opportunity provides itself, you can step into it and be successful because you've done the necessary work. Now it doesn't mean that you should just do something thankless and terrible and horrible. You should have a plan on where you want to go with all of this work. And you also need to step into those opportunities. Like when I was writing this book, Mike, you're one of the first people I re reached out to because I wanted you to be a part of this project. I love what you did with the USATF instruction and learn, you know, being one of the, you know, coaches or counselors or teachers in that program, however you want to phrase it. And I was like, I got to have this guy in. You know, and you just got to be told no, but you also have to be prepared that when you're told yes, that you're ready for it and that you've done the necessary work, you have the necessary education so that you can be successful for that piece of your life or that part of your life that allows you to maybe later reach some of those other long-term goals and dreams that you have. But it's just like with coaching, not to get all X's and O's, but there's process goals and then there's like, you know, performance goals, right? Well, the process creates the performance. And so as long as you're continuing to do the process and you're working and things like you said mouse paid his dues to get into the spot where he's at and then he had the opportunity to be successful because he's put the work in and he's good at what he does and yeah like you said hopefully we'll see a, a gold medal around one of his protégés next very 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 soon now you mentioned gambling do you think that your time at the tables 
and being able to do the calculus in your head to kind of count cards and figure out what's going on and, and play the percentages, which oftentimes is a quote unquote long game has helped you kind of get to the point where you're at to provide the value through track and field, through coaching, through mentorship that you're doing now. Uh, absolutely. I mean, every aspect of my past has brought me to who, who I am to quote one of my, uh, one of my influences, I, I won't call him a mentor, but you know, uh, his statement is you are who you are because of who you've been. Now that was by the great vanilla ice who said that, <laughs> Uh, but it's true, you know, what we've done in the past creates who we are in the, in the present. So, you know, being at the poker table, which let's demystify a little bit, it's not as much math as most people think. Um, there's certainly people who play the math side more than the other side, but I, I was more on the other side. And this is where I would say, you know, how does it, how did it influence me today? You know, my, my goal when I sat at a poker table was to learn about the other seven, eight individuals at the table. What was their motivations? So I kind of did unrecorded mini podcast <laughs> with them. I would, you know, Hey, where are you from? Oh, what do you do? Oh, that's cool. You know, I've been there before. And, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out how much does that money really mean to them that was sitting in front of them. So, uh, look at what I do now. I sit in, you know, one aspect of my job now is to sit in front of a microphone and talk to a coach. I'm like, Oh, where are you from? How you doing? What, how'd you get there? Where'd you go next? You know? Uh, so certainly it's, uh, you know, my love of people and their, their unique journeys has been with me way before podcasting ever was. Yeah, it's really interesting because it is it is in some ways a science, but then it's also a human endeavor when you're at that table to win. You know, you're you are kind of playing that kind of, um, you know, what I would say, like psychics do. You know, they try to pull that information out of you and go, oh, OK, so now let me go here with that. But that's more of a nefarious motivation where with what you're doing now is, again, trying to create these relationships, which goes back. And I know it's hokey or it's cliche, but it's like your why not what you do, but why you do what you do. And then if your your why is correct and it's in the right place, then you're probably gonna be successful with the what. It's driven through the humanity that is our relationships. I'm blanking on his name and I'm so sad, uh, but there is an excellent, excellent TEDx talk about you know what you do, how you do it, and then at the core, why you do it. He uses Apple as an example. You know, they make computers at that point, uh, how they do it. You know, they source from overseas and blah, blah, blah. And they market why they did it. Be different. That was there in Steve Jobs. Why of they were making computers. Um, I wish uh, I could see his face, but you got to go. If you're listening, go search TEDx talk, know your why. And that will probably bring it up. And I, I think he's, I think that video is like one of the top five TEDx watched videos ever. And that's saying a lot because there's some amazing TEDx talks out there. But yeah, knowing your why, that's key. That's got to be center to uh, pretty much everything that you do. For sure. And, and when you look at your why, what are things that you've discovered in these conversations with your why that you've had with other people that you kind of see is their motivation? What has been some commonalities? What have been some things that you realized through these conversations that has become more clear to you that's really valuable to these people and the why of them doing what they do with, with young people, making them run fast, turn left, jump high, throw far. Yeah, you know, a commonality amongst our guests in regards to their why is giving to others. Um, you know, there's that joke, you don't get into coaching, you don't get into track coaching for the money, uh, which 
is terrible. We should be making much, much better wages, living wages, not only for our track coaches, but throughout our entire society, society. but um, we'll, we'll leave that for another podcast. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they all uh, kind of address this issue of, I love track and field. Some of them are like, I didn't know anything else to do, but track and field. So I figured I'll get into coaching, but most of them had a mentor or a coach that really invested into them. And they almost felt this sense of, they had to give back to others because a teacher or a coach poured so much attention and love to them that, you know, reciprocity, they had to now take that and amplify it through coaching because they knew track and field. So it would go into coaching uh, in regards to that. And, and that's, you know, an interesting topic that I wanted to make sure we talked about today was this, this kind of dichotomy of selflessness versus selfishness, you know, on, on its, surface level when you think about track coaches high school college club doesn't matter what level it is you would think it's a hundred percent selflessness meaning gosh look at that coach they are you know they're available 24 7 you know if you're in college maybe you're taking phone calls at two in the morning those are usually not very good phone calls uh, but you're talking about academics uh, homesickness i mean you are always available you're at the office until nine ten o'clock recruiting you're back in the office at five for practices and uh, scheduling etc and you would think on its surface that that is a hundred percent selfless uh, unfortunately, it actually doesn't work out that way. It's also extremely selfish. Now, I know that probably some of somebody listening right now kind of kind of hit them a little bit like how in the world can this guy call me selfish? Uh, when we talk about priorities as a person, you know, if you are pouring that much time and attention into your program, your athletes, well, you only have so much time, it's finite, right? So that means you're taking away time and attention and energy somewhere else. So that could be your spouse, your children, that aspect, or even internally, introspectively here, your own self, your own mental health, physical health, relationship health, financial health, the number of coaches who don't have a uh, um, retirement plan is not healthy <laughs> for us out there. Uh, seems like teachers have it a little bit more straight on the financial side because of uh, 403Bs and 401Ks, et cetera. But the college is- One of the best things about it, to be honest, Mike, yeah. is, is knowing <laughs> that I'm doing this now and I will have some security later, which is good. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's tough sometimes, but, uh, to, to have that, but you, you've got to, if you don't take care of yourself, if you become unhealthy physically, mentally, you're not going to be able to give to your kids and your family and, uh, your athletes, et cetera. So it's just this interesting, um, aspect of, you know, we think of selfless and selfish as opposite ends of the spectrum. You kind of need to be more 51, 49% uh, to what you're, you're working at. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, Ryan, maybe you can, uh, no one's ever been able to find a third one, but I can only think of two professions in this world where the title is always in place, meaning uh, it's Coach Banta, right? We it's always Coach Banta, and it's always Doctor <laughs> Smith, right? You don't you don't call your neighbor the Doctor John. It's like, oh, hey, Doctor Smith, how, how are you doing? You know, and if if you were my neighbor, it'd always be like, hey, Coach Banta, Coach, how you doing? Right? Um, we never call our accountant and say, hey, accountant Joe. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't call our uh, our waste management people. Hey, how you doing, garbage man Tim? You know, it's it's that's the only two professions. Uh, so it's special that you you earn this title of coach, but we have to remember that, you know, we have roles in life and coach is not always the number one role. It, it can't be always the number one role, dad, brother, sister, father, mother. Um, there's, there's so many more <laughs> roles out there that you, you have to be prioritized correctly 
to have any kind of longevity. You know, we talk about burnout in coaches. Well, most burnouts are probably occurring because they are coach 24 seven and they don't allow themselves to be um, Ryan, the guy who likes to go hiking or Ryan, the guy who goes to Hawaii for a week, whatever, you know, those, those some mental health things there, we've got to kind of figure out all of our roles and then the, the prioritization of those roles, which can change throughout the year. It's not a steady state in, in any stretch of the imagination. The other thing is, is that you got to get your people that are closest to you. not fully on board with what you're doing, but you need to have conversations about why you're doing it and what are these rules and expectations as well. If you want to have a successful family life and a peek behind the curtain, I just criticized my daughter and I have, we're going to be cutting this out of the recording when it's a finalized recording because she's in here chatting. Um, So, you know, we all could get better at it. But one of the things I learned from Patton Oswalt who's a comedian, believe it or not, and I'm not even really a big fan of his comedy. I'm more a fan of his shows and the Goldbergs and things like that. I really like it, but he was talking about his wife and their kids. And he said, you know, a lot of people think about following through with consequences with the negative stuff. Like, Hey, if you do this, we're going to do this. But he also talked about how it's positive to follow through with the consequences on things that should be good for your work-life balance. Like, hey, we're going to go to the pool. I promise you, no matter what, we're going to the pool uh, and I'm going to make it happen. So if I can't do it today, we're going to do it tomorrow. Hey, we're going to go on a walk or the park, which is one of the things that my daughter and I love to do is go on walks and we talk and have good conversations without the stress, without the black mirror, rubbing glass for eight hours a day and all that kind of stuff. And it's that idea of make sure that you follow through with those promises because that quote unquote, as you said, selfishness is so important for the people who should be the most important to you. And, you know, uh, Altus has put out some content recently with the great Dan Path, where he talked about his struggle for his entire career of figuring out that work-life balance. And now as a grandfather with grandchildren, he's hopeful that he can finally achieve that. Well, learn from that man, as great of a coach as he is, he's telling you he's not perfect. And he's signaling to you that there are times where you need to be selfish for your mental health, but also those people who are closest to you. Yes, you're a coach, and that is a title that is revered. And you're absolutely right. I don't think there's any other one outside of family where you'd say mom, dad, auntie, uncle, whatever. Outside of those, it's doc and coach. You know, And that shows you that you are in a position that is revered. And you're not going to become wealthy like most doctors can have the potential to be from the title, but from a monetary perspective. But you can be wealthy in relationships, but those relationships also should be important within your immediate family. And one of the things that, you know, it took a long time for my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, to figure out, like, I don't understand why you're fretting and worrying so much about these people. And, you know, you should be more worried about what's going on at home. Well, that's a double-sided situation. One, I do worry about those people because our profession is people. But the other part of it is I need to be more aware of what my girlfriend at the time was telling me that, hey, I need to give proper attention to her as well. And it can be done, but it's not done in a way of every day is going to be equal. It's more of what I would say is equity of the work-life balance between the selfishness and selflessness. It's like, hey, this month, it's the end of the track season, which also happens to be the end of the school year. We're gonna have to work hard through this. But then I promise you in the month of June, July, and August, I'm going to be about family and I'm going to make it up. I'm going to do my job 
to reinvigorate my end of the deal here. And I think that those things are important when we're thinking of these concepts. So I have a theory. So no one thing is ever the thing, right? So I have a theory about that of why as coaches, we're one of the few professions that like ask to work 24 hours a day, right? You know, your, your neighbor, the uh, website content creator does not ask to work once he or she gets home after five o'clock, but coaches are like, Oh man, I could be working on um, writing down next day's workouts or, you know, uh, listening to a podcast to get better, reading a book and video, and I can rewatch all the Olympic heats. And, you know, we're like always trying to learn more. Right. I have a theory about that, but before I give that theory, what do you think it is about coaches that like generally we want to work 24 seven on that craft, that part of our life? Well, I, I mean, to be honest, I think we have some demons inside of us that we need to, um, you know, get out of us in terms of maybe things that we were unsatisfied with, or we didn't accomplish, or we didn't do and those demons need to be exercised, you know, kind of like, you know, the old Jim Carrey, you know, when he was doing uh, whatever that that his most famous movie, I can't believe I can't think of it right now. Uh, back in the day, uh, Pet Detective, what is it? What am I thinking of? Um, oh, oh no. <laughs> Everybody, exercise the demons this house is, is clear everybody is screaming at us right now with the name of that movie he's ventura pet he's detective ventura. there we go but anyway i think about that so exercise them you know and it's like we want that moment but unfortunately it it's probably not there because i think coaches more often than anybody else have a little bit of the imposter syndrome that drives us i was hurt throughout my high school career. I didn't have the college experience that I wanted, even though I was able to be a little bit healthier there because of a myriad of factors, mostly driven by my own self. And as a coach, once you reach that height and you've become successful, you don't want people to, to tarnish your, you know, you look at like Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, you know, like what's it going to be that Tom Brady goes out here and wins two more and he wins another one with the Bucks, which is a very... I mean, as high of a possibility as you can in the in the sport that has so much parity as the NFL does, he has a chance. And people are going to be like, well, you know, Belichick was only really good because of Tom. Well, we we know that fundamentally that's that's not true because there are a lot of people that have talent, quarterbacks and things like that and have had not had that success. So I think there's something to be said for that. It's a good question. Um, but I also think like it gets easier. So to the listeners who are new, it does get easier not to feel that it's necessary. Hey, I got to be there five days a week in the winter training before the season. We have to have three hour practices with weight room and running and blah, blah, blah. You figure out ways to be more efficient, but you also need to be aware that there is a more efficient path so that you can enjoy your life away from it. Um, if this is all that you do and the only thing that you do, I feel like that's problematic because there are great, coaches and teachers and doctors that have hobbies outside of their profession. The other thing I would say, and Mike, I think you would agree with this. There's research that shows when you step away from these things and you get away that your brain will still work on solving the problem, but it'll have a little bit more clarity or it's been defragged to use an old tech term, you know, we had all this fragmented data in a computer that makes the computer run slow. It's like, it's almost got digital molasses. Well, it's the same thing for your brain. You have this 
neural molasses when you have all these problems if you go for a walk or you go work out or you go to church you go pray you go meditate you have a nice meal heck wash the dishes and then all of a sudden the answer shows up or you now don't feel so bad about that situation and you realize that your uh imposter syndrome is not necessary as much it kind of diminishes as you get away from it yeah, you know, as I mentioned, no one thing is the the one thing. I, I think you hit one of those many, many reasons for this type of um, neurosis, if you will, without being a clinical psychologist here. Uh, but, you know, imposter syndrome, another, you know, there's ego and there's fear and there's, um, you know, warlord syndrome. I want to be the boss, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it was interesting in a recent episode of our podcast on the Connections podcast, uh, we had Cameron Babb, uh, head coach of Washburn University. And uh, what I love about kind of our style of interviewing, uh, it's very similar to yours, Ryan, is you never, like, there's no pre-plan. We talk about paths. We don't, uh, and there's no pre-given questions and things like that. We just let the conversation go and um, topics come up that you just never know are going to come up. And one of the things that came up unexpectedly with Cameron's uh, journey is when he was an athlete, uh, he had this coach for his first two years. So Cameron was a, deca a, a decathlete, a multi combined events. And in the first two years, he had this throws coach that he said, he, he didn't mention the, the coach by name at first and was just like, you know, we just butted heads, didn't really, you know, just couldn't jive, right? And then I got a different coach for the throws my last two years and we connected better and I did better in the throws. And then he mentioned, so, you know, we don't ever want to embarrass or talk bad about people. So I don't press like, well, who was that coach? You know, why, why weren't they able to get with you or whatever, right? Well, fast forward, he talks about sitting down with a coach and talking with her about coaching through it now that he's a coach. So, you know, fast forward, now he's a coach and he says, I'm sitting down with this coach at a convention and we have this great conversation and it really helps me uh, to kind of help coach my athletes in the throws. And he mentions like, just kind of like, I don't think he meant to mention it, but kind of just subconsciously he goes, yeah, it was the coach that I had my first two years. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Interesting. So when you were an athlete, you had this very same person, uh, Heather Leventon door. I always mess up her last name, Heather, you had Heather as your coach. And you say, you know, you kind of butted heads and didn't, he didn't jive, I think was maybe his, his term. And then later on, you actually reached out to her, sat down with her and for hours talked about how to coach the throws. And you said it was a real change for you on how you coach. Uh, I was like, it's interesting. That was the exact same person. <laughs> and you were the same person, except your role was different. He, an athlete versus a coach. And he made the statement. He goes, yeah, I wish when I had her as a coach, when I was the athlete, I wish I had the ability to, to have, you know, I wish I had the maturity that I had three years later, four years later, whatever. And, and it actually kind of struck me. It, it made me think, it's like, well, actually you can't, you can't have both, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too type of uh, slogan, motto, whatever, right? Um, as an athlete, you have to be selfish. Whether you're a good athlete, great athlete, you have to watch what you eat, watch your time management, watch your studying. Uh, what are you doing on the track for warm up? Your um, uh, recovery modalities. You have to. It's all about you and your body. It's very selfish, uh, and that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's it's very selfish. You have to protect. And as you become even a better athlete, like I can only imagine, like a you know we mentioned Grant Holloway earlier you know, he's got to really be fiercely protective of everybody's trying to get to him, right? Interviews, family, friends, uh, teammate, like, and he's got a, like, I have a job to do. I've got three rounds, <laughs> you know, and it's to win gold. So I have to block out all of that. So Cameron as an athlete, 
it, it was selfish. And so how you perceive information coming in, it's all about how do I take it and, and throw better in this example. Well, now fast forward to when he's a coach. And now it's when you're talking about instruction uh, to how to throw in this example with Cameron, it's not about when someone's teaching me, how do I do it better for myself? It's how do I now take that information and flow it through me to my athletes, much more selfless. It's a, it's a, it's a little subtle. It's actually not subtle, but it's a change in mindset that really changes how you perceive information coming in. I'm sure Heather's information was very similar when she was coaching him versus when she was maybe mentoring him in this example. So all that to say that I think as coaches, we all are very connected to athletes, whether we were athletes ourselves, whether we were good athletes, amazing athletes, it doesn't matter, but we're so connected to the athlete that we sometimes lose that aspect of the selfless and selfish. So we, we had to be very selfish as athletes. And sometimes it's harder to get, to go, get farther away from that selfishness <clears throat> as the coach. It's one of those things where, again, even early on as a coach, you probably still have that athlete mentality. You're still going through that process of, of kind of transforming. And it, it is a metamorphosis. You know, it really is. It's one of those things where eventually you start to have some success. You start to not be so like ultimate ego driven in regards to protecting people's from knowing what you don't know, or maybe some insecurities where you become very secure and hey, I'm still great, or I'm good at this particular thing, but I'm not great at these things. And it's okay that I'm not great at these things. And what's really amazing is that I think all of us kind of go through this in many different aspects of life. Man, I wish I could apologize to this kid for that, you know, or this athlete for this. I Man, I, I wish I could go back and have that conversation with my coach. You know, I would have done this differently. And I think, again, that kind of drives people with it's this idea of some sort of not getting something that you wanted that kind of drives you to try to get it through something else. And that can be unhealthy, but it also can be one of the biggest drivers for you to achieve early. But then after that, you've got to have some other emotional toolkit, you know, that you can kind of get through to become even better, to become a more evolved coach. And, and in many ways, emotionally, a more evolved person. The teachers that gave me the most trouble in high school that weren't just inherently mean, but they had standards and expectations. Looking back on it, I learned more from those people than I ever learned from the easy teacher, from the easy experience. You know, now there were people that were just bums <laughs> in the business of education that, you know, I uh, that are on my list. They're in my rogues gallery if I was Batman. But in reality, most of the time you go back and you go, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand the lesson that you were trying to teach me and it was my fault. I was resistant. Like I look back at my college experience all the time and it's so frustrating because I now know what I could have done to stay healthy. But I also at that point, because my attitude needed to be that way for me to get to where I'm at now, it, it couldn't, because like you said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You don't learn the lesson if you've already learned the lesson early, or if it's never been, you've never been put through it, because if you've never been put through it, then you've never then have to then challenge yourself later to work out that issue that bothers you so much. It was like, oh, that was easy. It's like Michael Jordan. Why has Michael Jordan never been able to be a great coach or Magic Johnson or some of these elite guys? Why have they struggled 
even when it comes to general management or putting teams together, because that's not their role. That's not what they were. They're like, it should be easy. I'm really, really good at this. Everything in life that I did was really good because I just did this. And it's like, yeah, in that world, you had some gifts, you had some work ethic and you had some luck, you know, or a lot of it for those two guys. But in this world, it's a whole different thing. It's, it's tangent to what you were doing. You know, it's adjacent to what you were doing, but in many ways, it's a very, very different process. Are you willing to be humbled again to go through that, to get really good? And how much time do we have, like you said, on our life clock to get that done? And we have to respect the, the life journey, meaning, you know, you are in different postures to receive things as you go through life. And it could be as short as day to day versus uh, year to year and even life events. You know, what I, how I receive parenting advice today as the parent of a 10, seven year old is different than how I received parenting when my children were first born and definitely different than how I would have received it 10 years before I even thought about having children. So it's the same with coaching education and your own, um, what would be the term I would use here, your own personal development. Yeah, personal development is how I'd say. So not how you become a better teacher or a better coach, but how you become a better person to be a better coach, dad, brother, mom, sister. So, you know, we, that's why I'm really big. Like, you know, we had talked about earlier, kind of off mic about retention of memory, right? And you're, you're a voracious note taker. And I love that for you because it, it is another way, you know, we, as a teacher, you know, this, right. We learn auditorially, vocally, visually. And so the more, the different ways you can do things, it helps bring in your memory. So I'm not a very good note taker. I need to be better, but I can't even read my own handwriting. So that's an issue. Uh, but I need to do better on memory. So my way of, of compensating for that then is if I'm going to be, let's call it a 95% memory guy, uh, let's say you're, you're naturally at 90%, but because you write it down, maybe it pumps up to 97%, right? Let's say I'm a 95 and these numbers mean nothing. They're, it's not like I remember 95% of everything I do. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but, but the way I overcompensate is if I'm going to forget uh, X percent, 5% in this example of everything that I consume, well, then I am going to consume a lot more. <laughs> so uh, like it is rare that I am not consuming something in this world, whether it's, you know, anytime I'm in the car, a podcast is on. Uh, if I'm at home, I'm the guy who's uh, on front of a screen um, or I'm at a something event with my children. Like my kid's a big fisherman. I know nothing about fish uh, fishing. So I'm watching other people. Like I'm always consuming because I know I'm going to forget a good number of it because I don't do other activities like writing notes and things like that. So I'm going to I'm going to out consume you <laughs> to know more and remember more about this world. But so as you're consuming, when you're, maybe you're listening to a podcast on coaching, maybe you're listening to, to this podcast and uh, one of your guests comes on and talks about a certain way of how to coach the hurdles, wherever you are in your life today is different than what it may be a year from now. It may go over your head and you catch, um, uh, the part about moving the hurdles together. And then a year later, you hear that exact same person. Maybe you listen to that exact same episode, or you listen to that exact same person at a clinic, or you read an article about them or whatnot. And they're saying the same thing. I mean, they're saying, you know, their, their coaching philosophy has not changed, but maybe uh, they're saying it a different way. If it's a, a podcast or you're reading it differently, but your, your experience level is different. Maybe you went through a year of coaching and now you catch on to something else that you're like, man, I've never thought about that. When in reality, it's like that dude told you a year ago, 
what, what happened. <laughs> uh, but you know, you got to just kind of understand that your life is always moving. So your posture, your openness to different thoughts and ideas, not only coaching, but your own life will hit you different. Right now you're listening to this podcast and there's some things hopefully that you're getting from it. And there's other things that you're just like, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. He, this dude called me selfish. I have no idea. I do not like this guy. You may hear me say this exact same uh, example in a different podcast or on a clinic, uh, things like that, or in my own podcast uh, here at Gill in a year from now, and it may click. You may actually think, see it and hear it and go, oh yeah, I get what he's saying. Why, has, why hasn't he told me this before? And in reality, you've heard this maybe a year ago. So it's really important to understand our, our life journey, our experience levels differ and change. And we're open to things at different times along our journey. That's, that's a pretty important aspect there. My, my question would be now let's, let's, let's move into this, Mike. I appreciate all of that. And that's good stuff in many, many respects. And I think about this idea of receiving information. So like my wife and I got very, very bad news from the doctor in our first pregnancy. And it was tragic news. And one of the pieces of advice that he gave us, which I think is so informative, is this idea of people are going to say things to you and it's going to make you mad. And people aren't going to know what to say to you or how to help you through it. And then they might say the exact same thing to you and you think it's the most sage advice ever. And you have the right to receive that information in both ways, no matter what the situation is, because it is your situation is your life it is your experience and it's your context and it's really amazing when you talk about that like i used to get upset that um the boys coach at our school you know never ran weekend meets you know and he's like and i'm like why why not compete on the weekend we should be competing on saturdays you know this is really important and then i had kids and i went aha now i understand why we do what we do here with with my buddy you know i understand why he does it it makes more sense now does that mean that i totally forgo doing weekends no absolutely but i try to make sure i have a healthy balance of both because this isn't just about me it's also about my staff right so i have 50 percent you know of of my meets try to then it doesn't always work out but we try to do that so hey if you want to have a saturday to go watch your son or daughter play soccer, you know, or hey, man, you know, uh, a Saturday meet works out better because you got a date on Friday night, you know, you now have a little bit of balance to your life, you have a little bit of both. And I think that that's important. Now, my question is, when you listen to all these people that have talked and had this experience, what do you think is the ignition point for them? I talked about having children, but for them, when you hear them maybe going through this metamorphosis or this change, has there been anything that's been in common for them when they go through this that really changed the way that they perceived it or were much more willing to be receptive to it, you know, going through that process? You know, I, I instantly want to tell you that, no, there is no commonality, to be real blunt with you. Um, when I was learning how to podcast, I started my own podcast, and the kind of theme of it was uh, we're all commonly unique and uniquely common. So we all have a lot of similarities, uh, but we all have that, you know, that path that we talked about, that unique path. You know, I, I don't think there is, you know, lis listening and, and sharing the stories of, you know, 100 plus coaches on every single level uh, of track and field. N no, there's not commonality to when they kind of that switch occurred because some haven't gotten there. Uh, I had for 
really up until about now, uh, about three years ago, I started a Facebook group called Beyond the Track. And it was a, a lot of these same thing. I've been kind of preaching, if you will, these, these themes of, you know, making sure you're taking care of your health and financial health and relationship health. And again, this personal development, the everything but the X's and O's type of aspect. And the reason I started that group was I was meeting with a coach who I will, won't, won't name, of course, uh, but a very, very successful coach. Like if, if you knew who they were, everybody like, oh, yeah, they're big time, <laughs> quote unquote, big time, whatever you define that as. Uh, so I was in their office and we were just talking. And I think I asked the question about like, so, you know, you're getting close. What's it, what's retirement look like? You know, how's, how's that going to go down? And they mentioned, first we were standing up and you kind of see, you know, their eye kind of glossed over a little bit and they started talking about, well, I need to do it sooner than later. And I, I thought for a second, they were going to tell me about some kind of health scare that they had. Uh, but instead they were saying, I need to do it sooner than later because I owe my spouse. I never got to see any of my, my all my children ran track. I never got to see a single track meet of theirs. Uh, I missed anniversaries with my spouse. Um, I've never been able to take my spouse to Italy and Venice and all this kind of stuff. I need to do it while I'm still healthy, like, while I can still do it. And you could just see there was this regret in their eyes. And they're at a time now where they have a, a finite, you know, a smaller amount of time to do all the things that they wish they could have done younger. And that really kind of spurred me to start the group and, and really target more college coaches. Cause that's kind of, you know, my, I coached a couple of years of high school, but the vast majority of my career was coaching college was like, Hey coaches wake up. I know you think it's noble to be the 24 seven coach, but you are missing out on your own side of life. That includes a spouse, potentially children, your own parents, et cetera. Do it now when you're 25, 30, 35 years old, and not when you're 65, 70, 75 years old, and you look back and go, oh, crap, I should have done this. I should have done that. Do it now because you'll have a better life and you'll affect more people positively as well, not just your athletes. You'll still have a great positive impact on your athletes. That's not going to go away. I'm sorry, you're a coach. You're, you're going to do great things, but you're missing out if you're not looking at this holistically, you're missing out on this other great, great aspect of your life, your faith, your family, your friends, your own personal health, uh, which goes into not just physical health, but mental health, financial health, relationship health. And not a single athlete will be angry at you for making sure you have time for your family. That's not true. You know, that's not, you true. don't think so? No, hundred percent not. No, you, you, you remember, we got to be careful with blanket statements, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember what are, what are athletes? What do they have to be? They have to be selfish. So coach, I, I understand your kids having a birthday party on Saturday and you're not going to make the meet, but it's a really important meet for me to qualify for conference and nationals and maybe my, my country's um, Olympic trials. You, you have to be there. I oh, know you're not going to get hundred percent adherence and that's okay. We're talking about 18 to 22 year olds. That's okay. Remember if you, if you're at a point at 35, 40 years old questioning, like, Hey, maybe I need to do this a little bit differently. Uh, coaching being the it coach a little bit differently here. They're, they're in a stage even before you, <laughs> they've only had parents around them or coaches around them or guardians around them to give, give, give. They don't realize like, Oh, it is important that my coach takes care of this, the, the, their actual life, not their, just their job, 
but take care of the extra life because that will benefit me because my coach will be around longer. They'll be invested more when we're together, et cetera. So yeah, no, absolutely. Don't, don't get fooled. Uh, someone will have a, an issue with it. Absolutely. An administrator is going to have an issue with it. Maybe you're an assistant coach and your head coach is like, no, 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 we work 24 seven. That might not be the program for you or the, the coach to work for it. That's okay. That, that, yeah, you that, make, yeah, that's a really, really good point, actually. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. I guess to rephrase that is, you know, that I think it's, I don't know, I, I, maybe they, they will forgive you later when they go through some of those experiences. But, hopefully. Uh, you know, you know, hopefully. Yeah. I, I just know that, I guess this is the way I look at it. Since I've had kids, I'm a better coach. I'm a much mm-hmm. better teacher. Once I finally became a teacher, I was a better coach. And because I was a coach, I was a better teacher. Once I had a girlfriend in my life who became my fiance and became my wife, I became better at coaching people of another gender. You know, these are things that these evolutions are important. So, and what's important there, kind of the asterisk with what you just said right there, Ryan, and if you're listening and you're a regular listener here and, you know, Ryan does an amazing job here and you want to know know more about that journey he just mentioned, Ryan was a guest on our podcast. If you just search Ryan Banta, Gill podcast. I guarantee you that'll bring it up. But what's important, what you just said there, Ryan, is that you became a better coach when you became a father and a better, uh, came or exactly how you worded it, but you know, a better teacher when you became a better coach, etc. That is your journey that is working, not not past tense, not worked. It is working. You're still writing the story of, of your, your life uh, and as a profession in the coaching world, but that's what worked for you. Other coaches, They coached one gender their entire life and never got married and are still excellent people who choose to be coaches. Uh, Or there's someone who um, got married and that made them a worse coach because they didn't, they didn't quote unquote do it right. They, they, they didn't pay attention to their spouse and maybe any children, et cetera. So it's not a one size fits all. If you become this, this will happen better for you. It is about your unique journey and what will help you become a better person. And, and as long as you're kind of in that mindset, if I need to improve every day in some aspect, then, then life will turn out pretty good. No, that speaks to the fun that is the mystery of our process, of our development and our evolution are those unique characteristics where we do kind of put different solutions to equations that come to us, our problems that we face, the things that we do and, and trying to constantly evolve into and and grow and develop into a better human being and and a person that provides a lot of value and feels that they have purpose. And that's one of the things that I think is really important for everybody to understand is that in this world of positive mindset and a positive psychology and development, purpose tends to be the most common factor in a life that seems to be meaningful, a life that seems to be satisfying. It's not always fun, you know, like um, uh, Mother Teresa lived with lepers and did some really, really difficult work for a really long time. And people were surprised to read that she wasn't like this super happy-go-lucky person, but she lived a really long time and she did work for a really long time because every morning she woke up and she had this purpose that she needed to attend to and this work that she needed to do. And so I think that that's one of the things that's maybe a through line for a lot of people. Again, I know I'm the one who's always like, be careful of absolutes. And I threw that down there and you were good to call me on it. (laughs) But um, I I think that that's one of the things is that it's okay to evolve. It's okay to change. um, But it also, you you need to be careful. You need to be thinking about what you're doing and what you want out of this life. And be careful uplifting people. We are flawed 
creatures. We make mistakes. You, you bring up Mother Teresa, and I always like to bring up when people talk about, oh, Mother Teresa, she was so awesome. And you, you, you started alluding to it, which is awesome. I love that. She was not a nice person. <laughs> she did a lot of great things. I'm not taking that away from her. But she was not this saint that we like to think of. A part of that goes back to what we said earlier today in that we like to uplift the past. Things in the past were great. Mother Teresa, what a, gosh, if, if we just had more Mother Teresas in this world, we'd be better off. Uh, go do some research. Not the nicest person in the world. I would not have wanted to work with Mother Teresa. Let me just say that. Uh, pretty mean person, but did a lot of good. So also be careful lifting up people. Again, using that mouse example, like mouse is great. He's perfect. I can never be mouse. Mouse is human. Love him to death. He does an excellent job. He is a great, uh, he's a better human being than he is a coach. And he's a pretty stinking good coach. Uh, but don't lift him on a pedestal. Learn from him. Learn from his journey. Pick his brain. He's, he's, he's a genius. But don't think that mouse don't make mistakes. We put in our mind this idea of what this perfect person would be. Well, that's the perfect person in your mind for what you would maybe even like, hey, my most evolved self, you know, like if you think about like Dragon Ball Z, my super duper Saiyan self out here at this very far reaches of whatever, you know, the the Goku of all Gokus. And you think like, okay, this is this is what I would want. This is the ideal of what I expect. And that's why sometimes they say, hey, you don't want to meet your heroes. Well, just understand that your heroes are human. And if anything, don't look at it as a negative. Like I, I still have tried to be very mindful. of Like I don't swear around my athletes at all, ever. But then when they come back, you know, I have to be like very thoughtful of like, yeah, I shouldn't still be cussing around them. Like, even though they're adults, you're 23, 24, 25, because they have this image of good or for bad of who I was. And I want this part to be considered, you know, kind of still in this, uh, I don't know, fairy tale land that Ryan Banta doesn't curse, even though I talk like a sailor when, you know, I'm not around young people, you know. And the thing that I think the people understand is like a person like St. Teresa, when we say, well, she's a saint, she should be saintly. Well, what does that mean? Saintly means you're doing whatever the job is at the best of your abilities to make an impact for the betterment of other people which sometimes means that other people who are around you or working for them are like, man, you know, Ryan Banta is such a grump. He's venting to us, you know, to my staff and complaining about the athletes. It's like, yeah, because I, I have to do that with you because if I come home and do that with my wife, that's a problem. If I do that with my athletes, that's a major problem. So you guys are the only avenue where I can get this out so that I can be right and be on for those kids that we're working with. Now, on the flip side, what does that mean? Well, then I got to go out of my way to make sure my staff knows that I love them and that I care for them. And I got to do other ways to earn that care, love and respect from them because they have to take on grumpy Banta, you know, who seems to have a dark rain cloud that follows him to every track meet with tornadoes and lightning and everything else. And I think that that's important. The other thing is oftentimes like people who are high achievers it's not going to be an easy path and they're not always pleasant and they're not always compromising because their lack of compromise is what's made them so great. So it's, it's hard to check off all the boxes of humanity. And I think that's important for all of us to understand now, that doesn't mean, and I'm sure you would agree with this, Mike, we want to generally try to be as positive and nice and caring as we can, as often as we can. But sometimes that's not the case. Like if somebody does something really wrong and messes up, and it you know, causes a whole lot of problems for a whole lot of people, and it seems to be spiteful what they did, 
that may require a little bit of a not so nice conversation because that personality, that situation, that choice has to be addressed to a point where that person won't make that choice again. Even if that means they're not working for you anymore, they don't do that when they go to another business or into another relationship. So it's important to understand, like, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. Um, tough, tough conversations are required. You're told, you know, that's what I like about you, Mike, because you just did it on the podcast. You're like, nope, I don't agree with that at all. You know, as opposed to saying, oh, yeah, Ryan, you're totally right. Let's go off in this direction. And I feel icky in my gut because you don't even think that. And I don't think that. So we're just going to act like that's okay. And that's a great example right there. And, and that's where, you know, full circle here about giving grace to people and not knowing what's going on where they are today. I'm reminded of, we had uh, the great Brooks Johnson early on the podcast. And I think he attributes this to another great George Williams from St. Augustine. He says, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. Well, let's be real here, people. You don't know any, you're not in anybody's huddle. <laughs> you, you may be part of their team. <laughs> you may be, you know, with your athletes, your coach, you're part of the team, but you don't know what's going on, everything in their family life, personal life, their own mind, et cetera. People go through stuff. Everybody, there is no easy path. We talked about easy, there is no easy path. There is none. Everybody has issues, everybody. And it affects us all differently. Giving grace to people when they snap at you or say something wrong, it's just like, hey, something might be going on that I'm not aware of, uh, giving grace and having conversations about that. Super important, super important. Yeah. And I, I, I've heard this somewhere else on another podcast with a guy who kind of looks like me bald and short and stocky. Uh, he's, he's got a hundred million dollars in the bank from Spotify. But anyway, you know, one of the things he said is your worst day is your worst day. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a rich, um, billionaire's kid, who's got a trust fund and you're, wildly handsome and beautiful and very smart and talented your worst day whatever that looks like is still your worst day for somebody who's living in a shanty with lepers in you know a rat infested place which is just the you know thinking of the worst possible experience you could imagine in your own mind that's their worst day maybe too um, but the effect on that person isn't necessarily different because that's the first time their brain has ever had to be challenged by whatever their worst day might be you know and thankfully humanity is very resilient and then you're the greatest people in the world who have challenged who have been who have failed who've come across difficult times have figured out a way to navigate it to evolve to provide a calculus a solution like you mentioned to become a better person who is more personally developed, not just professionally developed, to be better for the people that they work with. And even if it's a small group of people, if it's just 10 people, but you've done a really good job in your life and you had purpose every day you woke up, hopefully those 10 people will be better because of you. And who knows what those butterfly wings will, will do to create typhoons of positivity or good things for the earth, because we're all connected in Right now, this is the only place we can live until Elon Musk figures some things out, you know, so we're all in it together for a really long time. Yeah, I'm not sure he's a good person for us to be leading to lead <laughs> us right now. But I, I do something you said there kind of struck me that uh, we'll kind of as we wrap up today here, Ryan, you know, a lot of times and I think I did this when you were on our podcast. Uh, I challenged you. I can't remember exactly what I challenge you with a lot of times my challenge is, you know, talking to people and telling them uh, while they're here, 
you know, what they've done for you and thank you and things like that. You, so I'm going to challenge you to start working on being cognizant of the word just. So you said there, and one of those last sentences was, even if it's just 10 people, let's not, because what just does, it kind of, it belittles, right? It's, it's kind of like the word, the same, same challenge would be the word actually. Well, actually, Ryan, that was a good statement you just made. Well, that means like, oh, because normally you don't, but actually this time you did. <laughs> it's a very belittling word when you get Correct. down to the, the meaning of it. And just is a belittling word. It takes power away from it. So when you're coaching 10 people, it's not just 10 people because use math here a little bit. Those 10 people are going to have a network of 100 people, maybe 10 people. They're going to have a network of 10 people. And then those each individuals are going to have a network of 10 people your impact on 10 people is tremendous. It is numbered in the thousands when it's done both positively and negatively, unfortunately, right? So work on, you know, we had someone on the podcast and they were like, oh, I was just a high school coach. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Stop the presses. Not just a high school coach. You were a high school coach. Like if we don't have high school coaches, this whole system falls, <laughs> just like if we don't have college coaches, the system fall, you know, it's all part of the, the ecosystem of, of our lives in, in the sport of track and field. So, uh, Ryan, I'm gonna challenge you and, and your listeners work on that. Just that that's a belittling. That's a, that's a taking away from the power of what you are and what you do. You don't just, I just coach hurdles. You coach hurdles. You're awesome. I just coach PE. You are a PE coach. That's, that's awesome. That's there's worth, there's value that you're giving. Take away that word. Just it's a belittling word in a lot of cases. Probably the scariest and most empowering thing that I think people need to understand, and this conversation has definitely hit upon this quite, quite well, is this idea of infinite influence. Everything that you do from the moment you wake up for, the, for your entire life has infinite influence on the environment, the people, and the world. That's very scary and very empowering all at the same time. And I think you've done a great job of expressing that and explaining that to the audience in our conversation today. So Mike, thank you so much for being online with us today, chatting with us and having this conversation. I know that it will have a lot of value for others and provide that continuous drive forward in infinite influence. So with that being said, where can people listen to your podcast, get connected with you, reach out with you, chat with you, have conversations, tell the audience how they can connect. Awesome. Well, Ryan, again, thank you for having me. This is a little bit different subject matter than uh, your regular great value that you do bring. So, you know, my goal is always to bring value, you know, hopefully uh, that someone, someone listened today, just one person, right? <laughs> just one person, maybe listen today and just think about how to do it, how to do coaching differently so that you're impacting an even greater um, swath of, of your network. So again, really appreciate the platform and what you're doing and everything that I said would happen if you started a podcast is happening. So I love that you're proving me right on a daily basis. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, to reach out to me, you know, there's um, the easiest way is Twitter. I'm all in on Twitter. So, and it's the easiest kind of memory uh, gaff here is, you know, on Twitter, I'm literally at Mike Cunningham. It's all all word. I was lucky enough to, to, to get that Twitter handle. So that's one way if you're not on Twitter, uh, probably email, I guess, or maybe even cell phone. My cell phone's kind of like literally if you email, if you Google Mike Cunningham cell phone, my cell phone pops up. It's kind of just attached to me 
literally used to be on my hip, but now just, just always, always with me. So uh, email is my first initial M, last name Cunningham. So M Cunningham at Gill, two L's, athletics, plural.com. So M Cunningham at Gill Athletics and my cell phone, it's out there. So there's no, uh, you can spam me if you want, I guess, or text me and don't, don't, don't be mean to me, but, uh, <laughs> but you can cell phone me, uh, text me at 217-898-3038. Uh, to find the podcast, you're listening to a podcast right now. So whatever app you use, Apple Podcast, I'm an overcast guy, uh, Anchor, whatever you're using, if you just search Gill Athletics, it'll pop right up and would love for you to join us and really uplift and honor the coaches that we have on the show. They're amazing, amazing paths in this, this profession. It's just simply, I'm blown away. Everyone, there's not been a single one that has like, Oh, I heard this story with so-and-so they're all super, super, super unique. Uh, and I'm just so proud and humbled that, you know, people trust me to, to share their whole journey uh, as a track coach in this world. Mikey, thank you again for being on here. And to the audience, remember, we got to share this out. Subscribe. Tell us how we're doing. Put some reviews in, positive or negative. We need to know what's going on so we can get better, so we can evolve both personally and professionally as the conversation discussed today. And remember, be safe, be smart, make good decisions. We love you. Peace out.